But hey, I, I want to dive into our message series, uh, our message today in a moment. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about as I was preparing this message this week and, and praying through it. Um, I don't know if anybody watching today can maybe uh, you, you would empathize with me, but I do not do well in pain. Come on, you've heard the saying, no pain, no gain. I like no pain, no pain. Come on. You can ask Christina. If you don't know, Christina is my incredible wife. She she would tell you um, that I do not do sick sickness or pain well. Like when I'm like sick, you know, it can be like a minor cold. Uh, it can be an injury. Like I, I will like act like I, I'm, a, I'm a two-year-old. Come on, somebody. Like I'm going to sit on the couch. I'm going to watch me some Netflix and eat some chicken noodle soup. Come on. Uh, I don't. I don't enjoy pain. I don't. I don't enjoy um, any sort of hardship. Um, and maybe, maybe you can relate to that. But, but here's what I've learned in life: suffering is inevitable. Pain is inevitable. In fact, the past eighteen months it's become especially real to us, culturally speaking. Uh, we've experienced a global pandemic with the COVID nineteen virus. We've uh, we've we've experienced racial injustice coming to the surface in a public way that it hasn't to hasn't in years. Uh, a political division that's created rifts in families and relationships and uh, where sides are berating each other. We've experienced a humanitarian crises. Uh, even most recently, uh, what's been happening uh, in Afghanistan, we, we've experienced natural disasters, even most recently with Hurricane Ida and the flooding and the damage and and here's what we know is that suffering and hardship and pain is inevitable. Uh, and, and, but but here's, the, here's the key. It's not just, even, not, not just even culturally, but also individually. That we can experience, whether it be uh, maybe an unexpected bill or some financial hardship or maybe some, some tension in our marriage or relationship that ends unexpectedly or maybe some pressure at work or, or maybe just unmet expectations and disappointments in our workplace or maybe a health condition or maybe the loss of a loved one. Here's what we know is that suffering is inevitable. Pain is inevitable. And here's what I want to talk about today is how can we how do we respond in suffering so that we can suffer well? Because again, suffering is inevitable, pain is inevitable. But what's what 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 our responsibility and what we can do is how do we respond in the midst of it? And actually, God's word has a lot to say when it comes to this topic of suffering. And I believe it will encourage us today as we look to God's word of how do we respond when we face hardship. Again, whether on a cultural level or whether on a personal level as we look to God's word today. Before we dive in, I want to pray. And, uh, and when we pray, I also want to pray specifically this weekend. As you, many of you know, it's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And uh, I want to pray specifically as well for those family members and loved ones who lost someone uh, in that tragedy of that day. Uh, as we all are lamenting and grieving uh, this weekend as we think back to those moments. But let's pray, church. Father, we just right now in the name of Jesus, we just pray, Lord, for every uh, family member, every uh, person, God, who is grieving the loss of a loved one who lost their life in that tragedy on September 11th, 2001. Uh, God, we ask that you would, you would comfort them. As your word says, your spirit is a comforter. Uh, God, that you would be with them, God. And Father, we just pray, Lord, uh, Lord, continue uh, blessing over them as well, God. And God, we pray that, Lord, as we open up your word today, that, God, that you would speak to us, God, that your spirit would minister to us. We posture our hearts and minds to receive from you today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
We're reading out of Romans chapter 8 today. We're going to read a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome. The Apostle Paul has some moral authority uh, to, to speak about this topic of suffering because he was beaten, he was left for dead, he was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked for his faith. And he's writing to a church in Rome who they themselves were, were not unfamiliar with hardship, for, for they faced persecution for their faith. Like the Roman church uh, um, during this season were worshiping in homes because they couldn't worship in public places. They, they couldn't gather for worship because of fear of the Roman government and what they may face. So they, they were very familiar with hardship and persecution and difficulty and pain and suffering. But let's read what the Apostle Paul wrote uh, wrote in Romans 8, chapter 18. We're going to read about 13 uh, verses of Scripture. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, referring to the children of God, groan inwardly as we eagerly uh, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, to the redemption of our body, speaking to eternity and the next life. For in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works together for good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed in the image of the Son, for He might be the firstborn amongst His brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. From these 13 verses, I want to share with you three thoughts, three applications uh, for our, your life on how we can respond in suffering, how we can suffer well, not just survive a hardship, but thrive in a hardship. Right from God's word, right from the Apostle Paul. Here's the first one, is to partner with God. Partner with God. You know, the Apostle Paul refers to this idea of creation groaning. And what you have to know contextually, what's important when we read the scriptures is to always think through the lens of this. What was the authorial intent? What did the author intend when he said, wrote these things? And then also, how would the audience's, audience received it? And when he said, refers to creation groaning and, and the liberation of God's people, he was actually referencing a moment in history that every person listening would have known. It was when the Israelites were brought out of slavery in Egypt into freedom. When, when God, through Moses, led them into freedom. So he was referencing this point where the, where, the, where the Israelites, they had experienced pain, experienced hardship. They knew what that was like. And he's saying in the same way creation is groaning, there's still pain, there's still injustice, there's still hardship, there's still sickness, there's still difficulty. Now maybe you're, you're tuning in today and maybe you've maybe asked this question. If God is good, why is there still suffering? If, if God is good, why is there still injustice and hardship and sickness if God is good? And I, and I understand that. And just so you know, God is okay with your questions. Catalyst Church is always a place where you can come with questions and doubts and really try to process through to, to understand. 
And, and let me encourage you in this. As we look theologically and historically in the, in the scriptures, the reason they're suffering in the world is because of the original sin. Adam and Eve, when they were the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, some of you are familiar with this, they, they had a, it was, the garden was perfect. And God said, you can eat from all the trees except for this one. And they chose to rebel against God and choose to eat from this one tree. And in that moment when they deliberately chose to sin, it invited sin and brokenness and sickness and injustice. It, it, it invited not just brokenness into the human experience, but into all of creation. But here's the good news. So suffering that we experience, even it's not because of our own sin, it's because of the brokenness of humanity and creation. Uh, so it's not even something that, 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 that somehow uh, sickness or, 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 or pain or suffering is somehow the result of our own sin personally as much as it is sin in general. And yes, there's consequences to our sin. Yes, there's, there's natural consequences we may face. But here's the good news is that God, through his mercy and grace, put his son Jesus upon a cross. And, and that God is creating a new heaven, who created a new heaven and a new earth, and that in his presence there'll be no pain, no sickness, no injustice, no hardship, no suffering. So there is this suffering, there is this hardship. And that word referring to in this passage of sufferings, it actually doesn't refer to just a physical suffering, but actually the, the, the Greek word really refers to an emotional pain. Now sometimes suffering can be nothing happening to you physically, but something happening on the inside of you. And maybe you're tuning in today and you're experiencing a degree of suffering. Again, whether it be just maybe pressure at work or a relationship tension, or maybe just emotionally, you're walking through some hardship. But the good news is that Jesus came and through his death on a cross, his resurrection, we know, as Paul says, his glory will be revealed to us. You know, as I was thinking about how suffering is inevitable, pain is inevitable, I was thinking to myself about, about four or five months ago, more like maybe six months ago, I got back into the gym. I've been working out at home in the pandemic, and I just felt like I needed something different. I went back to the gym, and I started a new workout routine and kind of uh, more intentional in my weight training. And uh, about several months into weight training, I, I began to experience some pain, uh, some inflammation in my left shoulder. So I have, a, I have a physical trainer friend there at the gym, and I, I was talking to him about this. And in my conversation of sharing with him, like, yeah, I'm, you know, I've been getting back in. I've been going hard in the gym, following these different workout programs. But now I have this pain in my shoulder. And you know what he said to me? He said, listen, you know, especially I'm 38. He's like, as you're, you're going through um, a fairly intensive program, it's inevitable that you're going to have joint pain. It's inevitable you're going to have some muscle soreness and maybe even strain a muscle. Those things are inevitable in a part of it. He said the key is how you respond. And he gave me some exercises to kind of, kind of strengthen uh, those areas of my body so that it could help make me um, prevent injury and also help recover from injury. And again, I thought to myself in the same way those pains are inevitable in the gym, same with life. Augustine, who's known one of the, as one of the kind of uh, early fathers of the Christian church, he was a, a writer, theologian. Uh, he said this, that God had one son on earth without sin, but never had one without suffering. That if Jesus Christ himself faced suffering, uh, we, can, we can presume we ourselves will face suffering. 
In fact, Jesus said this uh, in John 16, 33. In this world, you'll have trouble, but <clears throat> excuse me, take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart to overcome the world. The good news is that he's overcome the world. Again, suffering happened, but he's overcome the world. Paul then refers to this glory. He says, he says that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That word glory means the majestic splendor of God. In that moment, he's actually referring to when we will be with God, not in this life, but in the next life, and we will be in his presence. And yes, we have we can be in the presence of God now. We can have union with God now. But in heaven, it'll be his perfect presence. Nothing will get in the way. Nothing will inhibit our time in the presence of God. There'll be no sickness, no pain, no injustice. And he says, compared to that, he says, we eagerly await. That word eagerly await to give kind of a, a word picture is like an Olympic runner stretching forward over the finish line. As you saw the sprinters do several months back during the Olympics. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18 to the Corinthian church. He says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away. We're facing suffering, pain, hardship. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Watch this. So we fix our eyes. He gets practical. Not what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He says, so we, we look forward to eternity. We fix our eyes upon Christ. We set our mind on things above. Paul also wrote to the Roman church, we, we, we don't, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. That there's a setting of our mind. There's this fixing of our gaze. There, there's, this, there's this setting upon the glory that will be revealed to us. You know, I was reminded about eight years ago, I was in a particular busy season of work. Like so busy, it was like, you know, go in early, stay late. Have you ever been so busy at work, it like hurt? Come on. Like you had to do the work, but it was like painful to do the work. Come on. You didn't want to. You just wanted to watch some Netflix. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but, but the next week after that week at work, I was going to a Caribbean island with the most beautiful woman in the world, my wife. Come on, crystal blue water, white sandy beaches with my best friend. So even though I was having this painful moment, like I'm, I'm this, I had a lot of work to do before I left for a week. What, what enabled me, what gave me this inner resolve was that I was looking forward to being with my best friend on those white sandy beaches with, with not a care of the moment with her. I thought to myself, in the same way that gave me this resolve to keep pushing forward, Paul's saying that even though I'm being beaten, even though I'm being left for dead, even though I've been in prison for my faith, it doesn't compare. I'm being inwardly renewed. Why? Because I fix my eyes upon Christ. I fix my eyes upon the things of eternity. That's why it's so important, church. We cultivate a life where, we're, where we are spending time reading the scriptures in prayer with God, around the people of God in community, that we're spending time worshiping the presence of God in church. Why? Because what we're doing, we're setting our gaze, we're setting our mind upon things above so that the present sufferings, so that the natural hardships don't weigh us down, but we can experience an inward renewal, an inward strength because of it. Joni Erickson Tata said this, whatever troubles are weighing you down are not chains. 
They are featherweight when compared to the glory to come. With a sweep of a prayer and the praise of a child's heart, God can strip away any cobweb. So when you're in the presence of God, and maybe you've experienced this in the presence of God, even in the midst of hardship, it can seem like the weight of it can lift. And that's the beauty of partnering with God in the midst of your hardship. Here's number two, is to process with God. Paul says that the Spirit actually helps us in our weakness. He said, for example, the Spirit will pray. We don't know what to pray. The Spirit will intercede on your behalf. Spirit will help you in your weakness. That's why it's so important that we partner with God and we also process what's going on internally with God. I read a quote about a year ago from a psychologist, and it, was, it essentially was this. This is kind of my summation of it that the majority of our interpersonal and psychosocial problems that we experience uh, in our life are due to unprocessed pain. That because we don't process our pain that we experience, and again, pain's inevitable. As simple as, as a, you can have an interaction at work that can create a pain emotionally and in your soul. You can have a, an issue, relate, it can be the most, even the most minor of things can cause great pain on the inside of us. And that unprocessed pain, this is why it's so important, church. I want you to lean into this. Unprocessed pain, if not dealt with, will eventually have to be medicated. And we all have a go-to medication. Something that we do, something that we engage in, that somehow medicates or numb the pain that we haven't processed in a healthy way. Maybe it's binge-watching some Netflix. Or, or, or throwing yourself, getting lost in entertainment and kind of escaping the moment in maybe several hours of television or a video game or a movie. Maybe it's alcohol or some other substance that you kind of escape into. Maybe it's work or busyness. See, some of these are more socially acceptable, but can I just say this? Both are as similarly destructive. Whether it's you're escaping into alcohol or you're escaping into more work, you're still not processing the pain. Maybe it's unhealthy relationships. And let me ask you this. Do some, do some self-reflection. What do you go to when you have pain, when you just need to kind of escape for a moment? Again, there's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with hard work. Like hard work honors God. Um, and there's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol in moderation. or like no, There's no sin in that. But here's the question I would ask you. Are you, are, you, are you escaping into it? Because you're not dealing with the pain on the inside of you. Can I be honest? There was a time in my life where, for me, it was entertainment. I would escape, and I would find myself watching for several hours, binge-watching some, some Netflix shows. And, and, and what I began to realize through my own self-reflection and processing and through some people who loved me around me, which is why it's so important for you to have community, people who know you and love you and will lovingly speak the truth to you, that I began to realize that I was escaping because I wasn't dealing with the pain that was happening on the inside of us. And perhaps that's why maybe you have experienced the Apostle Paul wrote, you do what you don't want to do. Why? Because you actually haven't processed the pain on the inside of you. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 5 to a group who was experiencing interpersonal uh, and emotional pain. Hebrew Christians, Peter wrote this, cast all of your anxiety on him, referring to God, because he cares for you. 
Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know the the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Peter says, cast your anxiety upon him. He knows you're experiencing anxiety, so cast it upon him. And then he refers to his spiritual side. And can I just say this? I used to work as a psychologist, so I have great, I myself see a counselor. I have great regard for um, uh, psychological, uh, psychosocial uh, therapy, uh, even when needed medication. And I think there are times that you need to, but I think it's beneficial for everyone to see a counselor. Um, but the, the continued growing rates of anxiety and depression of our culture, we also have to recognize that I think, yes, there's a neurological, yes, there's a psychosocial cause of it, but there's also a spiritual. And I think one of the ways the enemy is devouring people is through anxiety and depression. And, and again, deal with the psychosocial, deal with the neurological, the biological part, but also address the spiritual part because the enemy wants to devour your life. And he refers to how the family of believers thought the word are going through the same level of pain and suffering. David in Psalm 42 uh, in scripture, the shepherd David, known as the King David, a very important uh, individual in the narrative of our faith. Uh, he, he wrote this in Psalm 42, verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. He's talking to his soul. For I yet will praise him, my Savior, my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Uh, to give context, David in this moment, he had been anointed to be the future king of Israel, but at this moment he was being chased and hunted by the current king of Israel, King Saul. And that the king was trying to, trying to kill David. So here he is, right? Like, not only feel like he's not progressing in his calling, but he feels like he's going in the opposite direction, running from Saul. Clearly suffering, clearly pain, right? Clearly not something he expected. And here he is processing what's happening on the inside of him with God. He's casting his anxiety upon God. And can I tell you, when's the, when's the, let me ask you this. When's the last time you processed your thoughts and feelings with God? See, if we're not careful in our Western culture, we can approach prayer as my time that I ask God for something. But prayer is, is simply conversation with God, processing what's happening on the inside of you. You know, about, about several weeks ago, I had a moment with my children, uh, my two oldest, uh, five, uh, they're five and seven, uh, almost eight now, my, my daughter Hannah. When we put them to bed at night, um, they both will begin to kind of process their day with my wife and I. They will begin to kind of talk through like, like what they learned in science class and what their friend did during reading and then what they played in gym class and, and then what they did after school and maybe the show they watched. They'll kind of narrate what happened. Like they'll give us a narration of their day and like their thoughts and feelings. And to be honest, initially, like don't judge me, okay? Don't judge me. Initially, I thought to myself, they are trying to get out of sleep. Come on, somebody. Like, I'm like, listen, you should go to bed. Stop talking about your day and just go to bed. Pray for me. I'm trying to grow as a father. And what I realized, they just need to process their day with a safe person. 
And they feel, man, there's no, there's, and then I thought to myself, man, I'm honored as their dad that they feel like they can process with me. Then I had this thought in the same way, church, we need a safe place to process what's happening internally because unprocessed pain will eventually need to be medicated. And, and we need that in our own life. And, we, and, and, and it begins with God. Even just this week, I'm going to give you an example. Listen, I, I, I miss this. There have been years of my life, so many times in my life, where I've had unprocessed pain that I just, I just again, I told you, I was medicating with entertainment. I medicated with overwork. I just throw myself into work and busyness because if you're busy, you never actually have to deal with what's happening on the inside of you. And why maybe you keep busy is because if you slow down enough, you'll realize how painful it is. It reminds me years ago, I injured my ankle playing basketball, but I didn't realize it. I didn't realize I injured it when I did it. I didn't realize it was injured until after I stopped playing because when I stopped, my ankle swelled up. The same is true with our soul. And the reason maybe you stay so busy is because when you slow down, it hurts. You feel it. So it's, it's better to stay busy, better to escape into entertainment, better to whatever it is, pick your medication of choice. But just this week, I had a moment where I, I felt I'd, I'd come home, I had an event, come home, and I had this, I, I could feel the anxiety in my body. A low level, but I could feel it. I could feel the tension in my shoulders. And I'll be honest, initially, again, I, miss, I, I kind of disregarded it. So I was like, I'm just going to go work out. I stayed busy. <laughs> I'm going to go work out. And, 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 and the next day, the next day, for me, I took a moment and kind of processed, why am I, why am I feeling this way? What, what's actually happening? And I began to do some of my own personal kind of soul searching like with the Lord. And I realized that I had an exchange with somebody that, that sort of triggered the anxiety in my body. And what it was, um, this person had said some things that my perception, it was, my perception was they weren't accepting of me that I felt in some way rejected. And I know that can seem subtle. I know that can seem insignificant. But, but the reality is we all naturally want to be accepted by other people. It's a natural. Now, it can become unhealthy. But we all have this, right? Like We don't want people just to go around and, and reject us and turn us down. So I felt this, this little exchange of someone who I respected, I felt rejected by. So as I processed this emotion, I processed it with God. And here's what it can simply look like. Again, I, I delayed it for a day because I just stayed busy. Again, you can see I'm, I, I still struggle with like medicating it through busyness or work. So I had a moment with the Lord. It was, just a, it was a brief moment. It wasn't like I took 30 minutes. It was just a few minutes. And I said, God, I'm, I'm feeling anxious about, and I filled it in. And here's what I did. I said, God, I, I want to give you this anxiety. God, heal my heart where it's wounded. Then I, I, I forgave that person for how I for the perceived rejection. I forgave that person. I forgave myself for, for responding the way that I did. And I said, God, help me to rest in your acceptance. Help me to rest in your love. And can I tell you, I experienced his peace in that moment. The anxiety in my body slowly lifted. I began to experience his peace. That is as simply and as practically as it can look, church. Is that when you're sensing like maybe it's an interaction you have. Maybe it's just the, the weight of a, of a situation you're walking through. A financial hardship or pressure at work 
or relationship tension. Just having an honest conversation with God. Can I help, help free you up a little bit? God already knows what you're feeling and thinking. Now it's on us to just process it with him. And can, I, can I challenge you? Well, I'll take it even one step further. The, the scripture talks about this inner freedom happening when we confess our sin and we process our struggles with other people. It's to now do it with somebody else who's following Christ, who's filled with the spirit of God as well. That's why we do community groups, church. We don't do community groups just so you can have another Bible study or go uh, try a new activity or a new restaurant. We actually, the primary purpose is you can find relationships, you can find someone that we can say you can take the mask off with and say, this is what's really going on in my life. Can I tell you, you will find a degree of freedom, such a degree of freedom through processing with God and processing with others. And through this process, church, God will begin to build a strength on the inside of you. He will do something in you that will sustain you, not only through the suffering, but through all of life. See, James, again, speaking to Hebrew Christians who were facing persecution. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That word consider, another translation says the count in all joy. And it literally is an accounting term. It's a financial accounting term. And here's what it means. To evaluate it, to assess it with joy. He says assess your trials with joy. Evaluate them joyfully. Why? Because it's testing your faith, producing perseverance in you. And when perseverance finishes at work. When you are processing with God, you're not trying to go at it all by yourself as a lone ranger, but you yourself are leaning into community. You are yourself, you're leaning into God. You're processing it with God. But actually what's happening is he's maturing you. He's completing you as James says. That actually something's happening on the inside of you. <laughs> you know, there's something powerful that actually pain can promote growth in our life. Can I even say what I found personally? I, I find my mountaintop experiences, the, the victories of life, the high moments, incredibly enjoyable. But it's been the valleys of life, the hardships that have been the most fruitful and the most beneficial. <laughs> you know, I was reminded when I, when I first went back to the gym it was one day I came home after leg day. Come on. Anybody else, you try to skip leg day? Come on. Um, I actually did skip leg day this week. Don't judge me. Uh, if I have a day that I'm not going to the gym, I'll make that day leg day so I don't have to do leg day. But I did leg day. I just started going back to the gym. And literally, I came home. Your legs have the most muscles compared to your upper body. Have have a lot more muscle in your legs than you do the rest of your body. So... That's why when you work out your legs, you are oftentimes physically, your neurological system is the most exhausted because you have, you have been working the most muscle, the largest muscle groups in your body. Um, so I, I come up from leg day and I was exhausted. I had one of those moments where I went upstairs and I almost fell because my legs gave out. I literally had to lay on the couch. I remember thinking to myself, man, is something wrong? Like, I am so exhausted. Like, I did a workout, like a normal workout that I was listed on this program. Like, I didn't do anything, anything extreme, but I'm utterly exhausted. And then as I began to research it, and many of you know this, that like what muscle for muscles to grow, 
they need to be broken down. That when you lift weights, you're actually tearing and breaking down your muscle fibers so that they can be built back up and become stronger. In the same way, listen, God does not cause the suffering, but God can redeem suffering. And through it, make you stronger. Through it, make you better. Through it, refine your character. Hebrews 12, 11, the author of Hebrews says, No discipline seems pleasant at a time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Can I tell you, listen, some of my hardest seasons have produced the greatest fruit. I remember one particular season of my, my life, it was a hard season at work. And, and, and for months, I was kind of in this kind of complaining mode. I don't know if you ever get that way, but I was just, I was not handling it well. I was frustrated. Like I didn't feel like I was progressing the way I thought I was. And as I was like, and as I was, I was having a complaining moment with God, which God's okay with your complaints. I felt the Lord lovingly, gently, but directly show me that he was developing my humility. He showed me how I actually had been prideful. The reason I was so upset at work is because I was prideful. I thought I deserved a promotion I didn't get. It was pride. And the scriptures say pride comes before the fall. So God was saving me from a fall by developing humility on the inside of me. Can I tell you? Again, in the moment, suffering is not enjoyable, but I'm always grateful. And I look back, it might be years from now, I'll look back and say, I thank God for that season because God did something on the inside of me. Can I tell you, it's been through difficult seasons that God's developed humility. He's developed my trust in Him. He's refined my faith. If you think through your life, probably that can be the same for you. Is that in those hard seasons, actually begin to be the most fruitful seasons. That maybe in those seasons, you might find true joy in the midst of a struggle. You might discover that you can actually experience His peace even in the midst of pain. You, you might experience the, like me, maybe God's developing some humility on the inside of you because God exalts the humble. Again, ask God, seek God, God, what are you wanting to do in me as you're processing your thoughts? There's something you're wanting to build on the inside of me. In this season, it may not be enjoyable, church, but it is incredibly fruitful. Charles Spurgeon, the theologian, said, Many men, and for ladies, I, 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 it should be men and women, but it was the day in the culture, so. Many men and women, Jeremy add that in here, owe the grandeur of their lives to, the, to their tremendous difficulties. The grandeur of their lives. The grandeur of your life will be owed to the difficulties you experience because of what happens on the inside of you. So process with the Lord. Here's the last point. So partner with God, process with God, and lastly is partake in the goodness of God. And then there's a scripture that maybe for some of you, maybe your grandmother had it on a uh, you know, a, a picture in her house with this. Maybe, you know, you, you have this on your phone uh, background that we know that God works the, for the good, for the, all things for the good of those who love him and you are being called according to their purpose. Right, it's a beautiful scripture. It's a great scripture. That God works all things together for good, right? We, we love that passage. And he does. He does work all things together for good. And that's the hope that we can have, that God will work your situation for good. 
But let me say this as well. His good may be defined differently than your good. And can I tell you, his good is always better. Why? Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Therefore, listen, God wants more for you than you want for yourself. God wants better for you than you actually want for yourself. Therefore, we trust him with the good. Psalm 119.68 says, you are good, referring to God, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. God is good. Can I challenge you in the midst of a hardship, in the midst of of suffering, in the midst of a difficult season? Look for the good around you. Ask God, God, open my eyes to see your good in the midst of this hardship. Maybe for you as you're walking through maybe a relationship that ended abruptly, maybe for you the good that you found is is the friendships and the family that have come around you, the people of God who surround you to pray for you and encourage you. Maybe, I, maybe you even maybe have felt this. I heard this so often during the pandemic when people were working from home and kids were at school at home that people had saw the good that came out of it was, man, I've had more time with my family and loved ones than ever before. Like, People begin to see the good in it. Again, it does not dismiss or devalue or disregard the pain or the suffering or the hardship of it. Please hear that. But it is seeing even through it, God is redeeming it. Ask God, God, show me how you're redeeming this hardship. Show me the good in the midst of the suffering. I close with this scripture, Philippians 3, chapter 7, the Apostle Paul. Again, speaking of suffering, he's, he's penning this letter from a Roman prison. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, because in him and his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I consider everything a loss. What's everything for Paul? Well, Paul was known as a tent maker, not just a church planter and an apostle, but a tent maker who was, was, was known historically, historians believe, was a fairly wealthy man. He also was a highly educated man. He also had great success in his previous vocations. He also was someone who was well-respected in the community. He says, all of that I consider a loss. Wealth, education, success, status, loss. It's garbage. It's rubbish. Uh, one translation, even. It's, 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 it's literally a waste bin compared, not, not compared to, to more, not compared to the blessings of God, but compared to knowing Christ. That word knowing actually refers to in the Greek a personal knowledge, not a head knowledge, not a book knowledge, but like I know Christ. Like I have a personal and living relationship with God. It's all a loss compared to knowing Christ. And he says, yes, I I want the power of the resurrection, but also participation of the sufferings. Church, I want you to hear me. There would be no resurrection if there was not for the crucifixion. 
And can I tell you, there cannot be resurrection power, which we all want to experience, the resurrection power of God. Come on, the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the grave lives on the inside of us. And we're like, man, yes, sign me up for the resurrection power. But there's no resurrection power if there was not death. There was not death. We, We want the power of God. But oftentimes... That's why Paul said it's actually in my weakness. His power is perfected. And oftentimes we don't realize the full extent of God's goodness and grace and power until we are in our weak moments. It's in our weakest moments we realize, oh God, you are powerful. Oh God, your grace is more than sufficient in those moments to know Christ to have a personal relationship with Christ. And when you are cultivating that relationship, can I tell you, it's in those moments you can have the peace in the midst of your pain. You can have joy in the midst of your struggle in the presence of God. Why? Because to know Christ is the greatest goodness. It's the greatest goodness. I was reminded of my daughter, Abby, a few weeks ago. She was playing in the family room. And she walked across the room and stepped on one of her own toys. Come on, as a father, I was like, I know that pain, and that pain will make a grown person cry. Come on. All of a sudden, tears all up in her little eyes. She gets a little bit of pucker. It's so adorable. She runs to me, saying, Dada. And I'm like, I know that pain. So I pick her up, and she lays her head on my shoulder, and I comfort her. In that moment, I thought to myself, That is a picture in some regards of what Paul's saying. Like the pain still was real. Her foot was probably still throbbing like mine does for several minutes after I step on a Lego. (laughs) But she was being comforted in the presence of her father. And can I tell you, that's how it is in knowing Christ. It doesn't mean you won't face suffering. It means that you'll be comforted in the presence of the God of the universe. Tim Keller, the author of a book on suffering, which I, if you want to dive more into uh, this topic, he has a great book on suffering. He said this, Jesus Christ did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you'll become more like him. That's the developing something inside of you. The gospel does not promise you better life circumstances. It promises you a better life. Listen, church, we suffer well when we suffer with Christ. Can I give you a practice this week? I want to make it real practical. Whether you're walking through a hardship, again, big or small, it can be, again, a brief interaction like I experienced this week, or it can maybe you're walking through a chronic health condition or the loss of a loved one. Regardless of what it is, take some time this week and process what's happening on the inside of you. Just be honest with God. God, this is the pain I'm feeling. Here's the anxiety I've been dealing with. And allow the Spirit of God, who's called the Comforter, to heal your heart, to strengthen your spirit, and you can experience the power of God. We all can suffer well when we suffer with God.